Welcome to EJB Talks, Rutgers Blaustein School Experts in Policy, Planning, and Health, where we talk with our faculty and staff experts, as well as students, about how the fields of public policy, urban planning, public health, health administration, and public and urban informatics affect your lives. Welcome to EJB Talks. I'm Stuart Shapiro, the Associate Dean of the Faculty at the Blaustein School, and the purpose of this podcast is to talk with my colleagues and our alumni about policy, planning, and health, the interaction between these issues, and how they affect people in New Jersey, the United States, and the world. Over the last couple weeks, we've looked at what lies ahead for the pandemic. Today, we turn to the other related major crisis, the economic recession that we are in. We're bringing back Professor Carl Van Horn, who also directs our Heldrick Center on Workforce Development, and has just completed some major surveys on the economy. Welcome back, Carl. Good to be with you, Stuart. Let's start by talking about these surveys. Uh, Can you tell me what your goal was in fielding them? Yes, for many years, the Heldrick Center uh, has conducted national random samples of American population about issues relating to work and the economy. Uh, and so this, this time we, we wanted to go back into the field, obviously during this particularly difficult time and understand really two things. One, what's the impact of the COVID driven uh, uh, recession on them and their families? And then what, are their, what, what do they want the government to do, if anything, to help them through this difficult period? And then it also enables us to compare some of the, what they say today versus what we've collected over a 20 year period and other periods of economic boom and bust uh, to see whether their experiences and opinions are different now than they were before. So I, I saw the report, which is available on your website now. Yes, absolutely. Um, and there was a lot of stuff in there, a lot of interesting stuff, a lot of surprising stuff, but I'd be interested to know what surprised you the most about the results. Well, I think there were two, two parts to it. I mean, the first was that, um, I should add, we did a pre and post election, uh, study also. So in other words, we, we also have that to compare. And I was, I was expecting that there would be huge changes, um, because of the very partisan nature of all elections, but certainly this one. Uh, but it turned out there was there was actually some consensus, significant consensus, uh, between people who either identify as Republicans or tend to support them, and 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 also those who were Democrats and tend to support Democrats. And that is, you know, one is that they really want the government to intervene in a way that we've never recorded in our twenty years of of survey work. So, for example, during the Great Recession, we ask a question, you know, do you, who's responsible for helping unemployed workers? Is it government? Is it, is it the individual or is it business? And for many years, even during the Great Recession, we got them folks basically split in three. You know, it was a third, a third, a third. This time, half the people said it's really government's primary responsibility with the other half divided between it's up to the individual and up to the employer. So then, then we asked them, okay, we can go back and talk about why I think that is, but, but then, then we asked them, okay, what should the government do specifically? And 
on a variety of, of policy interventions we tested, there was overwhelming support generally, and, and there was no difference across parties. So the most popular one was infrastructure uh, investments, but there was also a very large, I mean, at 95%. Then there was very strong support for financial assistance to small businesses, creating temporary community service jobs, uh, giving people family leave to take care of uh, children or uh, sick relatives, uh, and even providing support to state and local governments to avert layoffs of essential workers. So while, while our elites and policymakers may be very deeply divided on these issues, uh, when it comes to the public sentiment, there's a lot of consensus. So I'd say I was surprised. So I wonder if that is a little bit of the Democrats have certainly come out with a unified message on this, that the government needs to do more. We need bigger stimulus checks, et cetera, et cetera. Meanwhile, the Republicans have had a somewhat muddled message because of President Trump calling for bigger stimulus checks while conservatives in Congress uh, uh, rebelling against that. Um, it may be that actually that's produced an electorate that does see the need for government help there. I think I think that's I agree, uh, Stuart. I also think that it's the uh, twin crises. You know, it's it's both a public health crisis and an economic one, obviously closely related to each other. But when you think about and we did the second survey, the first one we did before the election, of course, before November. Uh, but the second we did up through the second, I think, or third week of December, after it was clear to most people that Biden was going to be the the nominee, the the uh, incumbent, the new president. Um, but I think I think during that period the, we had, I guess, the second or the third surge of the pandemic, and the unemployment situation continued to de- deteriorate during that period after the election. So, I think it's a it's a, a crisis that is. I think people understand it perhaps better than they did the Great Recession, which was really a world financial crisis. And for many people, very, um, it's really unclear what was going on, right? Uh, Whereas this was pretty much right in front of everybody. You know, it was, you know, we had the highest unemployment rate we've we've had since the Great Depression um, in April and May, and it was very sudden. Uh, and then, of course, it started it started rising again after the uh, right before and after the election. So that that brings me to what I was surprised by is that given that sort of impact of COVID and that it, its presence in everyone's lives, I was surprised that people's concern about job security mirrored where they were in 2013. What, what did you take from that? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because that's been a constant and one that. Uh, we've written about uh, at the Helbrick Center a lot, which is basically that uh, Americans feel and have felt this way for quite some time, very insecure in their economic future. You know, for example, one question which actually started, was asked for many, many decades, not by us, but by the Gallup organization. The question is, do you think the next generation will be better off than yours? And for most of the time up through the really the great recession period right before that uh it was yeah you know it's going to be better but really since for almost the last 20 years we've we've been getting no it's not going to be necessarily i mean obviously some people still think it will be but but it's it's now in negative territory 
And I think that relates um, on terms of the reality, two things. One is most people's incomes against inflation have not increased. Their purchasing power has either been flat or declining. Um, and then related to that, of course, the cost of college has been skyrocketing, right? So the traditional path to greater economic security perhaps was, for many people, was getting a college degree. But now that is receding in the sense it becomes too expensive for many people. The, the second point is that, you know, the, the number of jobs and disruptions during this period have accelerated and the recessions have been deeper. Right. So we talked about in the early 2000s, the jobless recovery. So in other words, you didn't have more jobs coming back. And even though by 2013, the recession had ended officially three years ago, um, it was the unemployment rate still remained very high. People dropped out of the labor market, uh, what we call prime age workers, and their, their incomes did not increase against inflation. So I think those underlying malaise, if you will, uh, led to those conclusions. So the, the COVID recession, in a sense, is just kind of brought to the forefront of people's minds trends, long-term trends and problems in the economy. Is that a fair way of characterizing it? Certainly, yeah. Certainly for the last, you know, 10 to 20 years, you know, uh, if you think about, you know, going back to the, the, where there was a great anger towards Wall Street, um, you know, this this anger was really left and right. You know, they expressed it differently. But, you know, there people are hurting in all different parts of the country. Um, and by the way, it's not, doesn't just hurt Republicans or Democrats. It doesn't just hurt low-income people or well-educated people. It hurts a lot of people. And so I think there's a general anxiety there. Um, so... Even, even in 2018, when we had the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years, we still got fairly high numbers of people expressing anxiety. Uh, they were more positive in their outlook, clearly, than they were in 2020. But there was still a lot of anxiety then because of the um, what we call precariousness of the job market. You know, people just don't know, can they stay in that job? I've got it for now, but... Can I really, am I going to be able to retire? Am I going to be able to uh, stay in that job when there's so many people getting laid off around me and the insecurity really, which is pretty widespread? I mean, I often say the only people who feel secure in their jobs probably are federal judges and tenured professors. I'm glad I'm one of them. Uh, <laughs> be so. But, you know, there aren't very many other people that feel that way anymore. Yeah, and, and you and I both have that fortune to be tenured professors, and we teach in the public policy program here at Blaustein, um, which, of course, leads me to ask, um, what does all this mean for what our priorities should be in public policy at the federal and state level as pertaining to joblessness and economic security? Well, I think if we're, if we're to follow both the economics and, and the public sentiment, it should be to invest deeply in not only uh, recovering quickly so that we don't scar the individuals in the economy, but we also should be uh, investing in the long run to make the economy stronger and to create better jobs for people, right? So what does that mean? It means 
being able to work hard, earn a living and be able to support your family, which clearly many people can't do if they have precarious jobs, if they have gig jobs that can disappear overnight. I mean, think about the, all the Uber Lyft drivers who, you know, they were getting by and now in, in a period of six weeks, you know, they were, most of them lost that opportunity, right? Uh, I mean, and, and so that, that difficulty really is one that I think is, needs to be addressed both in the short term so that we don't repeat the same mistakes we made in the Great Recession, which were that the stimulus was too small and it, it was a one shot. And, and so what happened also was we had, and this is wishful thinking on my part, but we need to try to find the bipartisan consensus that we had in April and May to get these packages through that, and you know some version of them that President Biden's proposing because if we don't do that, then we're going to be uh, in the same position we are in the Great Recession, meaning a very slow recovery, a lot more people going into poverty, uh, people dropping out of the labor market. And all of this is bad for everyone, you know, not just the people that drop out, but as you know, Stuart, it means the economy is smaller, we're less productive, and it's really bad for everyone. Yeah. And the one other thing I'd like to see is, and I think a mistake that was made in the Obama uh, recovery, and there was a lot that was good about the Obama recovery, is that it was too hidden. In other words, people didn't see what the government was doing for them. Um, and that led, I think, to a lack of appreciation um, and, and paved the way for some of what came afterwards there. No, I think that's right. I mean, if you give people a payroll deduction, for example, which was a lot of the stimulus, it's it's invisible. You know, it's it's happens and you have more money in your pocket. But you know, for people that have lots of money, it's it's really essentially irrelevant. For people who are who are lower middle class or in poverty, it's helpful, but it's such a small amount, they don't really see the benefit. And so, you know, I agree. And that that of course is the difference between the way President Roosevelt went about it. Um, you know, he was he was certain that he wanted things that were visible to people. Hence, the the WPA jobs programs that built, you know, built infrastructure. And I think that's partly why it's so popular, because I think people want government to do things they can see and they appreciate that directly benefit them. Uh, and so that's that's why I think we see those being roundly supported by uh, the folks in our most recent survey. Absolutely. And uh, so now I'll ask you to put your political science hat on for a second. What are the likelihoods we see uh, see these types of actions? Well, you know, I think I, I think will some of it will happen. I mean, and I, what I mean by that is I think I would bet that, you know, infrastructure projects, um, you know, they were long delayed. Uh, some of our listeners may recall President Trump, Trump had infrastructure week, I think, three or four times and then nothing happened. But that's, that's because there's bipartisan support for that, not just because it's pork barrel for politicians, but it is that, uh, but also because there's a great need in the country for this to remain a competitive nation. And the business community and organized labor are completely on the same page on this. You know, so you know, they're, 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 the coalitions are there to do this. And I, the last point I'd make is, 
there's nothing better that you can argue for borrowing money than an infrastructure project that's going to last 50 years. Okay, so yeah. you can't say we're borrowing, you know, we're, we're actually borrowing to invest in our future and we're going to pay it off over a period of time. You know, the Tappan Zee Bridge has been there for say, 80, 70 years or whatever. I may be wrong exactly about that, but it's something like that. So, you know, we'll long have paid off those, those, those uh, bonds and that debt to build these big projects and they'll still be benefiting us. So, so I, I think that, I also think the, um, I think there's consensus probably around helping small and medium-sized business, businesses that have been so devastated by this because, you know, it's Main Street business. Uh, it's part of, you know, I think both Republicans and Democrats agree on that. Um, and also, I guess I would say, extending unemployment insurance, which I neglected to mention before, I think that that isn't as popular, but it remains popular because um, it is a direct way to help people who, you know, lost a job through no fault of their own. And I think that likely is to be supported. Now, the question is how large they'll be, which maybe is your next question. That's a different story. I mean, that that may not be large enough to solve the recovery that I think we need, but I think there'll certainly be significant action on those. Um, how much of this do you think will be handled or part uh, a recovery partially fueled by the fact that we are starting to get vaccines out? Um, the Biden administration is every day seeming to up its goals in terms of people vaccinated. Um, that's got to be able to make a difference. It does. But, you know, if you listen to Chairman Powell, the Federal Reserve Chair yesterday, which I did, um, he talked about the uncertainty, the uncertainty of how many people, how quickly people can be vaccinated and whether the variants that are coming, as apparently happens all the time, uh, whether they're more deadly to people who become infected, yeah. in addition to being more transmissible, in other words, infecting more people uh, from a, a given person who's already infected. So, you know, and so therefore he announced that they're going to keep interest rates at near zero for the foreseeable future. Uh, so, I mean, I think that those are the continuing uncertainties. Um, unemployment is going up again. Um, we'll find out next Friday what the what the actual numbers are, but the unemployment insurance claims are still are increased. They're up around a, a million a month now, additional. So, so it's we're not out of the woods by any means. Um, so, you know, I think the idea that 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 many economists have all of us hope for is a V-shaped recovery, not just for, you know, not just for the well-off who can, you know, work remotely and so on, but for uh, everyone, I think is further receding. And I think that's going to give more urgency to the, um, to, to putting some more money into the economy on the part of the government. Certainly hope you're right. Um, would you uh, characterize yourself as more or less optimistic than you are were when we had you on uh, eight months ago? I would say I'm more optimistic because of the fact that at then we were dealing with essentially an out-of-control public health crisis, which to the, anybody who was paying attention was not being handled well. Okay. <laughs> And maybe it couldn't be handled well, but nonetheless, it was just devastating. And that was the first surge, okay? Uh, we were talking about it in May, I think it was. And and then you also had uh, clearly um, 
gridlock. Um, and some of it was between President Trump and his own members of his own party. Um, some of it was Democrat, Republican. So there was a lot of that. Um, I think that um, I'm more optimistic because you have the you have the leadership in the White House who obviously wants to wants to do this. You have that is to say, put more money into the recovery. I also think you have more consensus in the business community that that needs to happen uh, than was true back in May. And I think um, you also have the, um, the, the fact that we don't know how long it will take to actually reach the quote new normal, in which case people will still be holding back um, you know, those who have money to spend, you know, maybe, you know, they may be saving it because they don't know what's going to happen next. I think so the lid, if you will, on the economy hasn't been taken off yet, the uncertainties, but I think they're much better in my view than when we had no vaccine and we had, we had no idea how we were going to defeat this, uh, this, uh, public health crisis. Great. Well, thank you again uh, for coming on. I could ask a dozen more questions, but uh, after 20 minutes or so, we start losing listeners. So um, I'm going to stop there. Uh, Thanks so much, Carl. Thank you. And good to be with you as always, Stuart. Also, a big thank you to our production team, Amy Cobb and Karen Olson, as always. We'll be back next week with another talk from another expert at the Biostein School. Until then, stay safe.